Good morning. My name is Seth. I'm the student ministry pastor here around these parts at State College Alliance Church. And uh, we've been going through a series called Seven Critical Questions. But uh, the plan today was not to have me come up and preach to you. Pastor Aaron had a, a message he had prepared. He was ready to bring it up and spit fire, I'm sure. But we got a text earlier this morning from Amy Henning, his beloved wife. And uh, she said to Chad and Aiden and I, Aaron's out of commission. He's got the stomach bug. There's no way he's preaching from the pulpit this morning. So would you be praying for Pastor Aaron this morning as he's a little bit under the weather? So I texted Pastor Chad about 7 o'clock. I said, hey, call me in a half an hour after I shower. Let's get our heads together, figure out what we're going to do. And then around 8.15, 8.30, Chad calls me. It was a little bit later than I anticipated. And I said, what are we going to do? He's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't see my phone, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, well, we put our heads together and decided the best thing to do would be for me to, to deliver the Word of God to you today. I, uh, I preached this message uh, three times last weekend, Thursday night at a wake student ministry, Friday night at an all-nighter in Pittsburgh at 3 a.m. Thank you, thank you. And then Sunday morning up at Living Hope Alliance Church in Belfont. So uh, out of all of us that were like, what are we going to do last minute here? I felt like, well, maybe the Holy Spirit has prepared me to launch this thing last minute and deliver the word of God to you today. So we're going to unpack a parable today, and I'm excited to deliver it to you. But uh, I'll tell you what, man, delivering that message at that 3 a.m. hour was was pretty insane. It was 155 teenagers who were up all night doing crazy things. And we used to do that before. We've done it a couple times. I think we haven't for a couple of years, and my leaders are pretty grateful for that. But uh, <laughs> uh, we might do another one here down the road. Um, last time I preached to you from the pulpit up here was a Sunday earlier in the year. Actually, it was January 2nd, I think. It was the first Sunday of the year, launching into the 40 days of prayer. Uh, and we kicked off a, a key verse, which I'm going to share with you here in a minute. And so I'm not going to make any strong connections to the 40 days of prayer messaging that I did. Uh, but the theme of that was an awakening to Christ and kingdom, right? And so maybe between the time that I preached to you and this time you have fallen asleep spiritually. Uh, so this would be a great opportunity for you to have an awakening in the word of God this morning. Uh, and I, I shared a story about sleeping. I shared about my grandpa having the grandpa chair that he would famously fall asleep in. Uh, and so I wonder where you're at spiritually today. If you have fallen asleep, if you feel like you're a little bit tired spiritually this morning, or maybe physically, I'm just thinking to myself, what is like, what is the weirdest place you have ever fallen asleep? Just turn to your neighbor who's sitting next to you and share with them right now. What is the strangest place you have ever fallen asleep? Ready? Go. What's the strangest place you've ever fallen asleep? Oh, wow. That's dangerous. Leaves in the were you hunting? <laughs> Just hunt. yeah. okay, that's funny. That's funny. I fell asleep on a bus. So I, I asked this question, I asked this question in the first service this morning, what's the strangest place you ever fell asleep? And I'm, I'm talking to an older gentleman and he said, well, I fell asleep in the bathtub. I was like, that's dangerous. Don't fall asleep in the bathtub. Do not try to take naps in the bathtub. I feel like as a young kid, all I ever heard was don't sleep in the tub. Don't put a hairdryer in the tub. Like those are things you just don't do. I don't know why those messages came through pretty clear as a kid. I mean, my parents just knew I was crazy and 
I don't know, don't fall asleep in the tubs. We fell asleep in the leaves over here in the common areas of our colleges. I fell asleep on a bus one time, had to walk back to my spot in a different country. That was a little bit exciting. It's a story for another day. But when it comes to falling asleep in strange places, um, I was thinking about uh, this one student that we had, um, Sarah Holloman, and she, does anybody know Sarah Holloman? Okay, a lot, of, a lot of Holloman fans in here. I love Sarah Holloman. She's in college now. She's a, she's a grown woman now, but we were on a missions trip coming back from Jamaica, and we're all tired, physically tired. By the way, thanks for always supporting uh, with, with great generosity our missions trips when we send students and teams uh, locally or abroad. Thanks for supporting them and our life conferences too. But we're on the way back from this Jamaica missions trip. We're physically exhausted, emotionally, spiritually. We just poured out all week, you know? And so Sarah falls asleep on a plane, and we snapped a picture of her. And I'm sitting there with her dad, and we're like, what are we going to do? And he said, why don't we see how many pretzels we can stack on Sarah's mouth while she's sleeping? So I don't know if you can tell real well, there is one pretzel on the, the lip of Sarah Holloman right there while she's sleeping. I think that was the only pretzel we really put on there. I think it would have been too tricky or too risky. Uh, she had that there for a couple of minutes, and then... And then it fell off or something. I don't remember. But she didn't choke on the pretzel. No one was harmed uh, in the making of this picture. But this was a genuine sleeping in a funny place, getting your picture taken uh, moment. So this morning, as we think about having an awakening to the kingdom of God again, um, that's not going to be my, my whole focus, but it is my prayer that you would have an awakening to the kingdom of God. I'll, I'll repeat this verse that we shared many times during the 40 days of prayer. Uh, Ephesians 5.14, which is the theme verse for our youth ministry. Awake. O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So my hope and prayer this morning is that you would have an awakening to the kingdom of God as we dive into the text a little bit, and I share a couple of stories with you. I'm going to unpack a parable with you. Uh, in youth group, we've been sharing a, a series of parables, and a parable as described by, by John MacArthur. He says, a parable is an ingeniously simple word picture illuminating a profound spiritual lesson. A parable is an ingeniously simple word picture illuminating a profound spiritual lesson. And the profound spiritual lesson we're going to unpack today is from the parable of the hidden treasure. The parable of the hidden treasure in Matthew 13, 44. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to look at verse 44. It's one verse, short and sweet. And my sermon will be short and sweet for you this morning too. Can I get an amen? Amen. <sighs> You're fired. <laughs> All right. Matthew 13, 44. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I'll read it to you again. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning, uh, as we unpack your word, I call again on your Holy Spirit to just do the work of illuminating your word to us today, God. Would your, would your word take root deep in our souls? Would you give me the words to say that honor and glorify you? And would you just draw us closer to you, remind us of who you are and who we are in you, God, so we can be strong kingdom dwellers for your kingdom and your glory today and all the rest of our days. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
All right, so I delivered this, this message uh, over the course of a couple of days, and one of the object lessons I used was this concept of, of value. Uh, we find value in things. And so one of the object lessons we used was um, uh, the value of a, of a shoe. So I had asked the questions in these different contexts, who has the most expensive shoe in the room today? So think about think, who has the most expensive shoe in the room today? Did you buy your shoes at Goodwill? Did you buy your shoes anywhere else besides Goodwill? I don't know. Well, I'm not going to make you say who has the most expensive shoe today. Well, I could probably guess who has the most expensive shoe. I think these are shoes from like Target or Kohl's or something. These gray shoes, they're pretty nice shoes. Not the most expensive shoes, but, but the value of a shoe. Who places, how does a shoe get value? Like, how does a shoe, I asked these questions. So uh, on Thursday night at youth group, somebody was wearing a pair of boots that were 150 bucks, okay? And we were like, oh, how do, how do you get $150 to be the value of a boot? And then uh, on Saturday night at the all-nighter, um, somebody was wearing a pair of sneakers that were $250. I was just thinking to myself, like, you know how much cereal I could eat for $250? <laughs> It's a lot of cereal. It's a lot of Lucky Charms. Well, there's a, a number of things that go into like determining the value of a shoe, right? Like there's supply and demand. People pretty much always need shoes, so you gotta you gotta buy them. They can put the price really at what they want. You you have the idea cost. There's the guy who had the idea or the girl who had the idea. They get paid for having that idea. Uh, you have the the factory cost. There's workers' wages robot wages. I don't know how much you pay a robot nowadays. Uh, you got materials cost, uh, promotion cost, taxes cost. I'm sure there's a number of things listed, that not listed that, that you could think of. Um, but at the end of the day, who has placed value on the shoe? Like who determines the shoe's value? Maybe a, a couple of people in a boardroom somewhere, or like one dude saying, this is my shoe. This is how much it costs. The value is given by people. It's a, it's a human who says, this is how much this thing is worth, right? Shoes are cool. Shoes are useful. But at the end of the day, shoes are just shoes. Stuff and things are just stuff and things. They will not satisfy or sustain hope. It may make you feel pretty cool for a season, and you may get some good use out of it, but that feeling will wear off. Those shoes will wear out. You might say you need something better for your soul. That one, was, that one was free. I didn't say it in the first service. I didn't think of it until now. But it's, it's hard not to. Like, I, I've been practicing. Just stop that. Stop that. Okay. Um, let me pause and ask you a question. And you don't have to answer this out loud, but think about this. How much value do you place on yourself? How much value do you place on yourself? Look around this room at these other people here. Seriously, look around. How much value do you put on these other people? I don't know if you, if you take a minute to reflect on your days of this past week. Have you believed that your value can be determined by people? whether it's others or, or even yourself. We have this propensity to like have negative self-talk a lot of the time. 
We have these looping messages that are, are in our minds, and you can call it negativity, you can call it spiritual warfare, you can call it because of trauma from your past. All of these things are valid and true. Um, but here's what we know. We know that the devil's work, the enemy's work, is to steal and kill and destroy. And Satan, the devil, he, he wants to take away your value, or at least make you believe that you don't have value. Uh, he wants you to believe you have no value. He's been, he's been saying this from the beginning. He's been trying to tempt us to believe that we have no value from the beginning. What did he say in the garden? Does God really love you? Does God really love you? From the beginning, he's been trying to convince humans that God does not love them. I wonder if you're buying into a lie about your value this week that the enemy has twisted but did you know that you can defend yourself for battle in this spiritual warfare? Not just to be defensive in the battle, but to be on the offense as well as you press into the warfare against the evil one. I'm gonna read Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. This is very familiar to many of us who have been raised in the church or part of the church for a long period of time. Talking about the armor of God to be ready to face the lies and temptations of the enemy so that we can hold fast to our identity and value in God. But listen, be strong in the name of the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have had and after if you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, listen, 16, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I want to highlight verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So first off, I need to ask, do you have the battle gear you need to fight in this spiritual warfare? Are you part of God's kingdom? And is your shield of faith taken up today? Or is it drooping at your side? I want to be vulnerable with you for a moment and share a bit of my story, but some of this Seth story uh, is a bit of droopy shield story, okay? Parts of my life where I haven't always held up my shield of faith to do battle against the enemy. As a kid, I think we have a picture of happy kid Seth up here. Yes. Oh, thank you. So I think I heard some, uh. No, I know what you're thinking. Uh, wow, he wasn't really born with a beard after all. It's true, it's true. Happy kid Seth here in this picture. I played football, I was about 10 years old. I played football, baseball, soccer. I played video games. I rode my bike with my friends for hours every day. Man, it was a good time to be 10 or 11 years old. Playing football though, like I was the type of kid, everybody around me was like hitting weights and getting bigger, but I just could not gain any weight. I'm serious, I think I gained 100 pounds. I think I weighed 100 pounds when I graduated high school. I was really skinny and scrawny. And so as other people were getting bigger on the football team, we just kept getting creamed and creamed. I was good. I was a receiver and a running back. Like I had a fair share of touchdowns and it was really fun to run the ball. 
But I quit after a couple years because it was like, I just kept getting jacked up, man. I didn't have time for that anymore. But it was in this season of my life too where my, my family was experiencing a certain amount of brokenness and I was wrestling with my own brokenness and this led me to, to spaces of, of deep loneliness and depression and seeking affection and attention and finding my identity in things that I shouldn't. And I, I can promise you, 10-year-old Seth couldn't like articulate those things, right? But 30, almost 34-year-old Seth has the ability to say, looking back, I'm recognizing these things and I'm processing these things now. But I was finding my identity and value in like friends groups, uh, in the marching band. I was a huge part of the marching band and a rock band. I played drums and like played all these shows with my high school friends at, at different restaurants and like different venues, YMCA's, places that would be like, yeah, sure, we can let a hundred kids come in here and just like mosh pit together and you can play your drums as loud as you want. I loved it. I found a lot of my identity in that time and space. And then I had my church and youth group life. Like I, I accepted Jesus as a young boy and I had this community of church and youth group, but they were kind of separate from my, my school friends because I went to school and church in two different towns. So I was able to like kind of have a, a church Seth and a, uh, a non-church Seth. I don't know if you've ever been there before, um, but I had this experimental dark side that no one really knew about or asked about or reached out about. I was, I was seeking help. I was seeking love. I was seeking release from pain I had experienced and, and was experiencing in real time. And I was hungry for affirmation and attention. And deep inside, there were parts of me that felt rejected and neglected or, or just really small. And, and this wasn't anybody's fault to blame, but this is just stuff that I was wrestling with uh, in, in real time. It got to the point where I got caught stealing I hurt my friends, I betrayed my parents' trust, I dishonored God, and I was trying to gain value because I felt like I had no value. I was trying to gain value for myself. At this point, I was just thinking, like, who would accept me? Who would include me? Like, I was rotten. Well, there was this kid, I'm gonna use a code name for him and just call him Richard. Richard would accept me. Richard was a kid with a dark side that exposed me to many bad things. And the thing about Richard is, like, my mom knew Richard was not good news for me. And she was always like, you probably shouldn't be hanging out with Richard. But the teenage boy in me like had a wall there that was not listening to the wisdom. I was not receiving the wisdom from my mother who knew Richard was not good news. Well, sure enough, Richard was uh, a person who exposed me to, to girls, to drugs, to alcohol. Almost all my firsts were opened up to me because I said yes to hanging out with Richard. Uh, but I've, I felt included in the community of folks that he was kind of a part of, uh, and I wanted to like feel that connectivity and inclusivity. So I started to have secrets, and I felt really isolated and alone and, and so confused because of my hurt and mistakes I had made. I wrestled with, with shame, and I was burying memories of pain and sin, and I was rebelling against my parents. I was rebelling against God. I was rebelling against myself and against everyone I could. Well, flash forward to freshman year, Seth. Here's a picture of freshman year, Seth, circa 2006, 2007, the basement of Pierce Dormitory at Geneva College. I don't know why I'm looking so shocked in this picture. It might be because, oh my gosh, I'm a freshman in college. What in the world? But as this year was one of the most terrible years of like life choices that I have ever made. Socially, I was making terrible choices. Academically, I was really struggling I found myself in a really dark place asking, how could anyone possibly love me after I had made all of these mistakes? After I had been dwelling in years of darkness, how could I get loved after that? 
Well, God woke me up and he brought me into the light that year. It was spring semester 2007. There, were, there was a, a family, I was going to this really small church and there was this family that really opened their doors and their arms to me and really let me feel like I was one of the kids, like I was part of the family. Uh, one of my, my friends, and he was my RA at the time, he invited me to this church, he invited me to, to Sunday dinner at his family's house, and so I went there every Sunday for, for the better part of a couple years, um, and I just really grew into that family, and, and they ministered to me in some great ways. You know, if you've, if you've traveled from home, God sometimes puts like a surrogate parent or surrogate grandparents in your pathway to mentor you, to shepherd you, to love on you. And I, I had that experience from this family who really took me uh, under their wing and, and showed me a lot of God's love and truth and family dynamics that were healthy. And it was just a beautiful, um, a beautiful gift for ministering to me in a time when God was waking me up out of my darkness and bringing me into the light. I wonder if you have darkness and sin that you've been burying and hiding that needs to be brought into the light this morning. When I think about God stepping into my darkness and bringing me into the light, I have to share this, this story about my friend. My friend has to be unnamed, but many of you might know this story or, or know who I'm talking about. That doesn't matter. The point is this. My friend was telling me a story about when he was in college. Um, he had gone to a friend's house for the weekend to, to visit, visit a, a family. So uh, they were at the, their friend's mom's house and they're watching a movie downstairs in the basement. It's dark and the mom brings down some, some food and some drinks and so they're eating some, some Doritos. They're munching on these Doritos and uh, they're wondering like, why are these Doritos feeling kind of like moist and soggy? Well, they had kind of this assumption that perhaps the condensation that was on the bottles that they were drinking and it was getting their fingers wet, that might have been like the wet stuff that was causing the Doritos to be moist. How many of you like Doritos? I like Doritos. I'm a big fan of the, uh, the spicy chili, spicy sweet chili. It's the purple bag. They're really good for nachos. I have them almost every Thursday when I get home from youth group. It's like, home from youth group, make my nachos. That's kind of my, like, way to replenish myself. It doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so, so they're eating these Doritos, having a, a couple of cold beverages, and then the mom comes down a little bit later just to say goodnight, and she turns on the light, and what do they see in the bag and on their shirt? Some crumbs and maggots yeah maggots in the Doritos maggots on their shirts I know the feeling that you have the first time I heard that I felt the same thing here's the point when God turns on the light on your darkness and you realize I have just been munching on maggots like this is, this is what sin is often like in our lives, that we, are, we have this ability to like hide things in the darkness and keep things buried away from coming into the light. But it's a gift to have the light turned on. It is a gift to come into the light with our wretchedness, with our rottenness, with our maggots. I don't know what maggots you're munching on this week, but if you have stuff that needs to be brought into the light, it is healthy to confess and repent of those things and to embrace the love of God. God made it clear when he spoke to me. I, I was just in this really broken state and I had my sin before me. But he was just affirming, Seth, I, I love you. It's time for you to experience my grace and forgiveness and love. You've been a prodigal for too many years. Just come back and rest in me. And it was little bits of, of church family loving me and welcoming me and just accepting me as I was and helping shepherd me to the Father. I want to read Psalm 46 to you. This is a piece of scripture that stood out to me. It says, God is our, our place of safety. He gives us strength. 
He is always there to help us in times of trouble. The earth may fall apart, but the mountains, the mountains may fall into the middle of the sea, but we will not be afraid. He makes war stop from one end of the earth to the other. He breaks every bow. He snaps every spear. He burns every shield with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I wonder when was the last time that you actually took some time to be still, confess your sins, turn away from your sins, and let the light of Christ shine on you, O sleeper. Arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There's a story in Matthew 10 of the, the rich young ruler I want to share with you here this morning. Jesus was setting out on his journey, and a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by this saying, the man went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth, earthly securities, to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Now this man had great wealth, and this was his earthly security. This is what he was finding his identity and his value in. This is the thing that he was saying, this is really hard for me to give up in order to follow Jesus fully. In order for me to find my full value and trust in Jesus, I got to give up this thing and find my full value and identity in him. That was a hard thing for this man to do. I don't know what your earthly treasure is today that you're like, I cannot give this up and I'm stuck finding my value and my identity in it. But I think Jesus wants to shine a light on that today and give you some space to release that to him and find your identity and your value in him, either for the first time today or maybe just be reawakened to that again, to release your earthly securities to him and to find your true identity in the Father. I want to share uh, some truth with you now, truth from the word of God that has encouraged my faith in Christ over the years of my journey. I have grown to learn that God declares my value and not the world, not my circumstance, not my hurt, not my mistakes. Those things are part of my story, but they do not shape my value. God declares my value. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is how valuable you are to God. You are worth Christ to God. You are worth Christ to God. That is your value to the Father, that he would send his own son to be the sacrifice for you, to die and rise on the third day, and for you to put your faith in him, and then for all of the punishment and wrath that was supposed to come on us as sinners that went to Christ, we receive eternal life and the power of the Holy Spirit now, and we find our value seated in Christ fully. 
While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Our value is worth Christ to God. This is the treasure. That when you stumble into the kingdom, or you are drawn into the kingdom, or you discover the kingdom of God, the treasure is this. That God loves you so much, he values you so much that you are worth Christ to him. We're on this, this life journey and it is challenging. It is filled with many trials. But don't lose sight of the value that God has placed on you. You are worth Christ to God. I'm thankful too that God cleanses me from my sin and my mistakes. Psalm 103.12 says, He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and pure us from all unrighteousness. I'm thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that seals us and empowers us to live for the kingdom. It says in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Friends, listen. These promises are for you. These promises are for you to grow into, to wrestle with, and to receive. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I want to ask you again, are you, are you part of God's kingdom? Do you have access to the battle armor you need to face the spiritual warfare that you're going to face? If not... If you are not part of that kingdom, hear this good news from Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved by the finished work of Christ on the cross. This is the treasure that Jesus is talking about, the kingdom, that there's a God who loves you, a God who redeems you, a God who gives great value that you are worth Christ to God. He gives you power through the Holy Spirit. He rescues and forgives, and he awakens us and strengthens us. We put a lot of value on things, and we put a lot of value on stuff, but the goodness of God is that he has placed so much value on you through Christ. He has spoken that. He has shown us that. He has awakened us to that. So today, I don't know what your hurts are, but I know that you have them. I don't know what your mistakes have been, but I know that you've made them. First Peter 5, 7 says, to cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. I just didn't believe this for a long time. I trusted Jesus, but I had a hard time believing that God cared for me and I had a hard time believing that I could cast my cares on him but his peace is good and his grace is sufficient I'm reminded of this quote from Corey Ten Boom in The Hiding Place it says there's no pit so deep that God's love isn't deeper still there's no pit so deep that God's love isn't deeper still so if Moses can murder and run and hide and be saved by the blood of the lamb and the Apostle Peter can lie and deny Christ and be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, then there's hope for me 
and there's hope for you that you can be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Let's take some time to surrender and let God continue to do a good work amongst us and in us right now as a reminder that we are treasured by God our Father. Would you pray with me? God, would you give us courage to surrender? Surrender the things that we've been putting stock in that have been shaping our value that aren't you. Forgive us for finding our identity in in earthly treasures, whatever they are, God. We have things in our lives that we say, this identifies me. This is what I find my value in. God, we find the most freedom in your kingdom when we are resting in our value in you, when we are resting in our identity as a child of yours. Would you guide us and shepherd us into that space today and for all of our days? And as we embrace each other and as we embrace people in our communities, would we have, would we have great hope to share and we'd, would we have compassion knowing we're not the only ones walking around with, with sin and with, with darkness and, and maggots that have been a part of our lives, God. We all have stuff that we bring to the table. We all have brokenness that needs healed and needs redeemed. We all have seasons of stiff-arming you, God, and walking away from you, but I thank you for your grace. Would we be so joyful to share that grace with others as an expression of your love? Thank you for your work, God. Thank you for the power of your spirit and the salvation we find in your son. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.